Hi, everyone. It's Jen DeWall. And in this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast, I sat down with Marcus Van Elfin to discuss how to become a more empathic leader, how to understand or listen, notice the emotions of others, and also notice the emotions within yourself. Talking about a piece of emotional intelligence. But let me tell you a little bit more about Marcus before we dive in. Renowned leadership psychologist and author of more than 15 books in Dutch and English, Marcus Van Elfen developed the concept of observational listening in 2014. Observational listening goes a step further than active listening in understanding what someone has to say. By observing what emotions they are experiencing, the leader really gets the employee's story and their underlying emotions whereby employees then feel heard, seen, acknowledged, and psychologically safe. This results in increased happiness, motivation, and overall success. This is why we need to care. Observational listening augments empathic leadership in a powerful way into excellent leadership. I hope you enjoy Marcus and I's conversation all about how to become a more empathic leader. Hi, everyone. I am so excited to have a guest today that we are going to be talking about how you can be a more empathic leader. There is not a better time than today to really lean into your emotional intelligence and develop that self-awareness and social or relational awareness to others. The world needs it. Employees aren't as happy as what maybe they were five or 10 years ago. And we need to be a little bit softer or take a different approach to get to the root cause to all work better together. But Marcus, I am so excited to have you as our guest today. I know that we're going to have a great conversation. And I would love if you could just tell our audience a little bit more about you, your journey and what you do. Oh, well, I'm going to keep it the short version because I could, uh, my journey has been a long one. Because I never started as a psychologist, I started as an electrical engineer. And, um, yeah, also I, I, I seem, I seem to be pretty good at it because I, at one stage had a company together with two other directors, three directors, we had a staff of about 30, 40 people. And we were doing okay. The only thing was that, um, it didn't interest me that much. So I landed up in what we call a bore out. And in my recovery from, from being, uh, uh, you know, burnout, bore out, whatever you want to call it, I went this route of discovering what is it that I really want to do with my life. And that's when, um, I was fortunate to be able to go through a, a kind of a assessment. I don't know what you want to call it, assessment thingy, where, um, basically, I shouldn't be working with electrons and things like that. I should be working with humans. And that is how my path started as a psychologist. And I've done all kinds of different forms of psychology as well. And along the route, I've been going going far more for the leadership psychology side, which is just one very specific uh, part of psychology. And the really interesting thing about that to me is empathy, which I know is one of your favorite subjects. Yes. Well, it's what we all need. And maybe the reason that I I first want to say your story is inspiring in the sense that 
you've pursued a career path that in you decided, you made that choice after, I love the expression bore out. I've never heard that before, but burnout, you decided, you know what, there's got to be something different. I have a different calling and you actually mm-hmm. took the action to move into it, which is so challenging for so many people for so many reasons, but mm-hmm. I appreciate you sharing that story to hopefully give our audience. If any of them are thinking I am feeling, you know, bore out or burned out, I would love to, you know, maybe explore something else in my life. Mm -hmm. So I love that. And then diving back into empathy, it's Mm -hmm. something that I think I'm passionate about because I don't think when I did all of my leadership classes, I was a nerd and really into leadership in my early, my teenage years. I did Dale Carnegie at 18. I entered the workforce and I thought that everything that I was told about leadership was a lie. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's, that's just the stuff that they teach kids to make them happy or uh-huh. make them think that the world is more utopic and friendly than what it was. I think that the last thing I saw in the workplace when I entered it was empathy. Yeah. Mm. It, it, so let's let's go into it. So you, you know, leadership psychology, talking about empathy. What is empathic leadership? Well, I, th- I think we have a lot of myths going around here as well. I mean, a-, a lot of people have this idea, if you're an empathic leader, then it's all huggy, cuddly, uh, being nice to one another, not saying nasty things, not confronting people. Uh, I don't, th- no, it's not that. It's not that. So uh, to me, empathic leadership is about, um, about actually about really knowing who your team members are and really understanding them, understanding where they're coming from. And, and in a way, this is, this is the simplest way to motivate people. If you ask me, and I should correct myself straight away because I don't believe you need to motivate people. I believe that if you're empathic, that people are motivated by themselves. They're actually motivated already. So it's, it's more just a, a matter of aligning with what they need in such a way that they do what they want to do. Why do you think people haven't taken that approach until recently to really understand what someone needs? I mean, why do you think we've been reluctant to, I guess, hmm. bridge that gap and build those connections to create that communication channel? Well, I, I, I don't know. I, th- I think this has got to do with, with, with many of the myths that we have. Um, I'll give you a, a, an easy example. Maybe you know the answer to this question, but do you know when scientifically they proved that punishment is the least effective way to change people's behavior? Do you have any idea? Oh, my gosh. Oh my gosh. No, yes. I, I really don't. I'm trying to think about different work trends or yeah. periods and eras, but no, I don't. Okay. What if what if I told you it was 1820? No kidding. Uh-huh. 1820. Okay, so what have we done with the scientific knowledge? Nothing. Not that much, eh? Not <laughs> that much. And and this is my point. So so when we have a myth, we uh, and we're brought up with all of these myths, eh? let's, be, let's be honest. And I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying it is what it is. So we're brought up with all these myths that certain things are the right way to do stuff. And any information we get that counters that idea, we don't like. So we find ways to sort of push it into a corner or ignore it or 
go on the defensive, whatever. And I think it's the same with empathy. It's the same. It actually begins with emotions. Emotions for a long time in, 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 in our society have sort of been bad things, you know, and a, a sort of a bit of a side product of the way we think. Whereas that's not true if you think about it. And, and the, pushing that myth further, then we go, we go into the organization, go to the workplace. And you hear still today a lot of people saying, we don't have emotions in the workplace. Over here, it's rational stuff. And I'm, I'm just, I just shake my head. I think, how do you expect people to work, to be, without there being emotions? Without emotions, you're simply not alive. You're a robot. Yeah. So I, I think that's where this myth comes from. You know, people have these convictions about emotions being strange stuff, and no, they don't. You know, in the workplace, we're rational and stuff like that, and we don't want to hear different. No, mm. it's hard. Emotions are hard. I, I mean, sure. as an emotional person, I mm. think I've always been not conditioned by outside that I was too emotional. I'm too sensitive. Mm. I'm too. Mm-hmm blank and I always struggle with that because it feels very innate for me like that's just how I am and Mm -hmm. I always felt the judgment whether it was by peers for being too sensitive to something or by bosses for again being too sensitive or even on the opposite being too excited or passionate about something all of that was bad and I feel I think it took me a really, really long time to accept that I even had emotions because so many people judge me for having emotions. <laughs> yeah, and then we start judging ourselves for having emotions too, hey? Yes, yes. You feel because, the shame. Yeah. The shame yeah. lives. Yeah, another beautiful emotion, shame. Like, but that's, I mean, that's so true. It's that personal time personal dime mentality. We don't want you to bring it into the work fa- workplace. And I have huge issues with that because if we look at any of the global surveys of employee well-being, cool. so much of what's driving down, it's not all at the responsibility of the organization, but so much mm-hmm. is a result of what's happening in the workplace. Like yeah, it's well, I mean, it's basically Sorry. It's a two-way street. Yeah? We know you take you take home with you to work, and you take work with you to home. So, so yes, there's a two-way street in that. So it's not the sole responsibility of the one or the other. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. It's. I just. I like. It just always frustrated me that it always pushed towards the one way. We don't mm. care what we do to you, but when you come in here, you still you know suck it up. You, yeah. Push it down. You, sm- you smile and be good. Yes. So when you think about empathy and practice from your perspective, what does that look like for a leader? Is that is empathy, you know, just having the conversations to know the surface level information about someone such as are they married? What hobbies do they enjoy? Where are Mm -hmm. they from? What does empathy look like for a leader? Well, definitely not the above. So, I mean, that's just pure factual information. That's got very little, in my uh, view, to do with empathy. So, to me, empathy is sort of the the baseline to understanding the person, and not just the facts, but the person. So, so empathy has uh, has a direct link to emotions. It, it's it's 
and to emotional intelligence as well. So being empathic is actually being able to sense in a way what's going on inside that other person in terms of their emotional experience. Uh, and again, here comes the myth. Yes, must I do this? Must uh, you know? Because then they start thinking. Then I've got to go and be sad with people, and I've got to hug them and 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 rub, you know, give them a rub over the shoulder or whatever. No, that's not it. But being able to understand where somebody's coming from, to me, is the first step in understanding anything at all. How do you, how do, you do that? I mean, jumping in like that? that is one of the most challenging things because i think we don't deal with our own stuff that's going on in our brain sometimes that there's a lot of noise in terms of how we're trying to understand and maybe i'll dive into the solution and then i want to come back and talk about why this is so important but how do you begin that process of being able to sense someone else like in their experience uh, i i uh, discovered something uh along the way and i'll take you along that. It was uh, some years ago because I've done a lot of things. One of the things I did was train uh, therapists in communication skills. So you'd think that's pretty normal, you know, teaching people how to communicate, especially therapists. They need to communicate with their clients. And one of the things that puzzled me, really puzzled me, is that some people in a role play, for example, they sit down and they have a conversation and it just goes and it's just smooth. No problem. They just go straight down to the right level of depth. Easy peasy. And then you see other people battling, struggling, you know, that, that, that your toes start curling up under the table thinking, Oh my God, you know, how, how, how is this person ever going to have a good conversation? So I was really interested, what's the difference? Why do some people do it so easily and others do it? They have so much difficulty in this. And I came with the idea that it's got to do with emotions. And it's got to do with the people who have it, who who easily get that conversation going, are those who actually observe what's going on in that other person, in the here and now. So not what they're telling about their emotions, but the emotions they're experiencing now, that they somehow tune into that. And by doing that and being able to also give words to that, the other person feels heard quicker, feels safer quicker, opens up easier, and the conversation just goes all by itself. And that little idea, I, I started calling it observational listening. You know, active listening, those are all very nice tricks that you can learn. Observational listening just adds another dimension to that. And to me, that's that part of, of sensing or, or observing what you see in the emotions of the other person right here and now, to me, that's the clue. All right. I am going to have to ask you for some tips on observational listening because I, people might think that they don't struggle with it, but Mm -hmm. I have a client right now that, and I love this because they are, they're very aware that they are not as great at active listening as they could be, but it is hard because they're very impulsive in their response. They're Mm -hmm. guided by 
I need to show that I know this or that I I have the right answer or that I'm here. Mm -hmm. And so they're, of course, doing the common. I am just waiting to tell you my response instead of actively listening. And people might think that, oh, everyone does that. But it is actually a skill. You don't just all of a sudden get to say, yeah, I got that person. So what are some of your tips? I mean, you're you're talking with therapists who I know are very well um, educated on that listening and that dialogue, but we can all have challenges with it. Even if we have, you know, mm-hmm. a certain designation in our education, what are some of your tips to be a more observational listener? Well, you've actually mentioned the first one yourself, and that's being present. If if you're busy thinking of how I should react or what the other person's going to think of me or is, is the other person going to feel heard or whatever, you're actually busy with yourself. You're not busy with the other person at all. So so being present is actually number one. So simply, how do, how do I react? No, well, I'll see later. Sort of let me first listen. Let me first hear what this other person has to say. Let me see what emotions are, are, are playing. And, and a lot of those emotions you see in their body language. Uh, and I mean, if I were to ask you, how how would you gauge someone's emotions? I'm sure you'll have some good answers on that already. It's well, I mean, and how I gauge body language is absolutely one, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that one is, yeah, that one is probably the biggest. And then I think it's yeah. actively listening for the emotion that they're describing oh. are probably my yeah. two defaults. Okay. How about how about a simple one, which I'm sure you do as well? You look at their face. You listen to their tone of voice. Check. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. You, you look at the way they look through their eyes, the way they look out of their eyes. So, so all of these things are giving you a mountain of information as to what's going on. I I ran into one challenge that I had mm-hmm. and. And I'm just going to share this. Maybe it will help someone. But in my journey as a speaker, and you can relate to this, we we talk to people often. I do Mm -hmm. rely heavily on facial expressions, body language to Mm -hmm. gain tone. And there Mm -hmm. was a time that I misread something as a result of a condition. I don't want to say a condition. This individual has Mm -hmm. a health condition where they will make nods but they are yeah. not necessarily in alignment with the message. It's more as okay. a result of their condition. So I have to say that because that was the first time I ever really, I expanded another oh. viewpoint of that experience and how I give empathy. And it was something I had never, ever okay. like experienced. I'd never met anyone before. It was hard to to feel like I've really failed in actually understanding someone else. Like that did not feel good. <laughs> okay, but, but again, eh, the question, is it failure? Because can you accurately name everybody's emotions perfectly straight away? I don't believe that's possible. I think then that, that's, that's setting yourself up for failure. So, so really what, what empathy is about is not being 100% accurate. What empathy is about is getting a good feel as to what that emotion is. And if you get it wrong, which can happen, and you say something that implies that you've got it wrong, you are going to notice straight away by the other's reaction 
that you got it wrong. Yes. And is that a bad thing? No, it's not a bad thing. You can say, I'm sorry, I got that wrong. Uh, uh, there's nothing, there's nothing that says that we, and boy, in fact, the opposite is true. We should be vulnerable. We should allow ourselves to be vulnerable and say, Hey, I made a mistake. I saw that incorrectly or I got that wrong. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. That gives actually the other one, the other you're speaking to also the space or more space to feel safe. You're saying I'm human. Yeah. Yeah. It's, do you think it's, I mean, I, in that instance I described, I, I did sure. respond it or I did apologize, right? Even if I'd never want to like unintentionally, intentionally cause distress yeah. or harm for anyone or discomfort, but that human, I think the, okay, let's talk about the world that we live in today, because okay. I think there's a big um, need for empathy. There's a big need sure. for that kindness and that sensitivity, but then there's also a big fear of being yes. human. Yes. So. The question, and you had said this earlier, and I wrote it down, like, how do you do that? How do you balance with this without that maybe mm. thought track that says they're judging you? They might think you're going to get it wrong. How do you allow yourself to step into vulnerability and maybe quiet that voice that says, well, what if they judge you? What if they don't like what you're saying? What if you <laughs> did make that mistake and you did it awful? Uh, uh-huh. Well, it, this is probably a something I, I chat with my clients about quite often is this idea of what do you have influence over? Because if, if you don't have an influence over something, then you actually have only one option, and that's to accept that. Uh, and my experience is that these kind of thoughts and feelings we have, we might want to influence them, but most of our attempts to influence them don't work that well. Why? Why not? <laughs> Why not? It's I can't because... make just work, Marcus. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wish I had that book. I would. I, I would be a millionaire if I if I could if I could write that book. But um, I, I don't. I simply think the answer isn't there. I mean, the the, the emotions are there, and, and and we avoid the unpleasant emotions, but that doesn't mean that they go away. We, we sugarcoat them; they still don't go away. The emotion remains there. The emotion itself, we have little influence on. So really what we do have influence on is our reaction to that emotion. So we can, we can feel, okay, I'm feeling uncertain about myself. I'm feeling judged. I'm feeling all of this. This feels unpleasant. And now comes the most beautiful word in the English language, and that is and, not but, but and. And I'm now going to do my best to listen to this person, for example. Uh, so the two are able to coexist because we often use the word but. And the but is actually saying it's the one or the other. Either I have this crappy feeling, excuse my French, or I have this. But how, how about that they can coexist? that I'm, I'm feeling uncertain about my conversational skills, for example, and at the same time, I'm going to listen. Hmm. But I love, I okay, I love so much, and I'm just, I always write to make sure I'm tracking, like, the conversation, because you shared uh-huh. so much there, but 
you know, talking about avoiding the unpleasant emotions, I would love to even dive into that. But the use of and is so powerful. I am feeling uncomfortable. I am nervous about this reaction Uh and I am going to lean in. But you build in one of the, um, I guess, the question that I feel like I need to ask is how do you get, how do you help people build that self-awareness? I often notice that is the biggest challenge. I have a, I have a best, my best friend is a nurse and she's always been a nurse in, I would say like higher stakes, like an intensive care unit. So she mm-hmm. has learned to just kind of shut that down, go into that survival caretaker mode. And one of her new goals is just to start to recognize her emotions because mm-hmm. she realizes how much she pushes down. But yeah. how do you like from where you help people? I'm curious, how do you help people? I'm Maybe some of our listeners might be struggling with that, too, because I think it's two ways to be able to be empathic to others. You've got to learn how to. Cool connect with what you're thinking and feeling? How do you help people build that self-awareness? Well, this is a very important part also of emotional intelligence because emotional intelligence is about your own emotions and the emotions of others. Yeah. And being able to understand them and to read them and all these kind of things. So when it comes to your own emotions, um, I, I, I believe we've sort of as a society, we've distanced ourselves from our bodies. We have this idea that, that, that we know better than what our own bodies tell us. Whereas, you know, our bodies, they, they have, let's call it billions of years of evolution behind them. They, they, they have some kind of wisdom. They, they often know better than we do. And, and this is where, as far as I'm concerned, the journey begins is to start by feeling your emotions in your body, by by discovering, hey, uh, where do I feel things? A lot of people, for example, when when they're feeling tension or anxiety, they feel it for the first time sort of, or they feel it first in in their gut. And so being aware of your body helps you to become aware of your emotions. And, and, and it's not so that, that there's a standard place for everything. Um, I was discovering this by myself as well. I mean, because I'm also human, so I also get tensions and stuff like that. And I was trying to find out, okay, so where's the first signal I can discover that I'm feeling tense about something? And after spending some time with this, I found out it was my right hamstring. Why? I don't know. But when my right hamstring starts tensing up just a little bit, I know, okay, I'm feeling tension. And that gives me the space to actually accept that tension instead of fighting it. I'm giving this as a simple example. Eh? So, so just starting with your body, being aware of what, what that emotion is doing inside of your body, often is the first step to becoming aware. Yeah. And people just don't, I think people, maybe it's that conditioning emotions are bad. And I love how much space Marcus you give for really learning that they're not good or bad or black or white. Um, But knowing that whether you think your emotions are happening or not, they are. are. Your body's having a reaction. True. True. That's honestly if I talk about the gift of having multiple sclerosis, like not that I love having this, 
one of my biggest gifts of that disease is I feel all the emotions. My body lets me know, oh, by the way, you're really stressed right now. I'm going to give you Uh some musculoskeletal issues in the back. Your hand's going to do this. And I have the gift of understanding that because then it's easier to find that awareness of knowing what my body needs. But for many people, we don't unless we intentionally slow down to say, what is my body doing? Because chronic stress, too many people are living with it. Oh my gosh. I know that we're going to have to start to begin to wrap up our conversation, Marcus, but mm-hmm. I, I want to take this because I feel like we we covered a lot. We also didn't cover a lot. So what would be some, like we could have this conversation for a much longer time. What sure. would be some final thoughts that you would want to share with our audience as it relates to becoming more empathic or a more empathic leader? Uh, the, the difficulty with becoming more empathic is uh, is to Actually, let go first of your pre your preconditioned ideas, and and really listen, really listen to people, and listening to people. Yeah, you know we have all these these nice little active listening skills. Uh, until those aren't tricks, but they're real, you're not going to get them. So the idea is active listening is beautiful. That extra dimension observational listening gives it, especially when that becomes authentic, that's that's when you start also feeling what the other person's feeling. That's when you start recognizing what's going on with that other person. And to me, that's empathy. And it's not that everything you do... uh, must or, or no, let me word that differently. That an empathic feeling requires a certain action. That's not true. So you can also feel that empathy and decide that in the current situation, I'm not going to act on that. That's also okay. But at least you then have the choice because you have more information. You know what's happening. You have the choice. Is this the moment to do something with that emotion the other person is experiencing? Or is it something that I should postpone for later? Or is it something I shouldn't be touching on at all because it's not my position or not my role? So it's, it's not like there's one correct way to deal with other people's emotions either. It just broadens your options. But, but that's, to me, the, the essence. But I love this, even those choices, just presenting them. If someone is going into a conversation, you know, talking about letting go of your ideas of what you think should happen or your assumptions, but also recognizing that however it happens that you have that choice, you can choose to pursue and have a deeper conversation. You can choose to avoid, which is going to have other undertones because you talked about how many people avoid the unpleasant. And you can also recognize whether or not you are in the appropriate role position or individual to be addressing this. Or situation. Because yeah. I what mean, so this? some emotions you, you might not want to address in the current situation, but you could choose to come back on that at a later time. Yeah. Do you have any tips on like how you can give yourself that space to say, I'm recognizing that I'm triggered or I'm recognizing this might be beyond my you know mm-hmm. expertise, wheelhouse, I'm going to go back, you know, do you have an exit strategy, you know, and and those ways to something, a mantra, any tips for how we can recognize 
I need time to process this emotion, then come back to this. Well, actually, we're talking about your own emotion in such a case. Eh? You're feeling overwhelmed. Yeah. Or you're feeling confused or whatever that emotion is. And we're scared to give words to that emotion. But that, to me, is the ideal way of saying, wow, what you're saying now, that really hits me. I need to think about this. Or I'll come back to you on this. Or give me a moment. You know, these these kind of strategies just, uh, and this is, again, making yourself vulnerable, eh? Explaining what, what, what that emotion is in you also gives the other person information. I mean, if you just ignore an emotion because you, because you're scared of it, you're giving an entirely different message and saying, wow, what you're telling me, that actually frightens me. Let me think about this. You're giving a complete different message then. Yes. What, what would you say to the person? Maybe it's me at times. Maybe it's a lot of leaders. What would you say to the person that then hears that emotion of, let's say, overwhelm? And mm-hmm. they, you know, are really sensitive to it. Maybe they've been burned out themselves. So then they want to solve. What would you say to the fixers and the solvers and the people pleasers as it relates to that? Oh, that's that's so difficult because we have so many of them. Yeah. And and often often it's uh, also again just being open and saying, I don't want a solution. I don't need a solution. I don't need an advice. I, I, I just want you to hear me. I just want you to hear my story. You don't need to solve someone else's story. You started with that. You don't need to motivate or find that they have that motivation from yeah. within. That was, I feel like, our beginning conversational yeah. point. Yeah. It's, and yeah. it's hard. Okay, I have to ask you one last question before I'm going to yeah. ask you how our audience can get in touch with you. But... What would be, if you had to sum up any last tips or insights or considerations, how would you want to close our podcast conversation on how to be more empathic or how to be a more empathetic leader? <clears throat> well, as I'd have a, I'd have a thousand tips. Um, I'm going to have to limit myself to, to, uh, <laughs> to perhaps one. And, and that is the belief uh, to, to start believing in yourself. Because I believe empathy, we all have it already. And so it's not really about new stuff. It's about becoming more aware of what we can already do and putting that in more consistently and more, yeah, just, just more goal oriented. You could almost say that, that you put some, you, you start using what you already have. In a more conscious way, I believe that's that's already half that's half the half the battle won. I guess I agree with you there, Marcus. Mm. I've really enjoyed our conversation. How can our audience get in touch with you? How can they learn a little bit more about you? Tell us, tell us the details. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I sometimes say funny things, and one of the things I often say is, "I'm I'm not out there to sell books. I've written books." But actually, I don't want people to read my books. I want them to actually do the stuff that's written in there. So I want them to actually start uh, behaving differently. So for this, for, with this whole idea, I've got a website. It's called excellentleader.com. And the purpose of that is to offer people 
simple training modules in which they can actually go and learn about empathic leadership. They can learn about psychological safety. They can learn about sustainability and all these things and literally also practice the skills that fit with that. So that's basically my, my mission is, is uh, you know, I, I exist to make the world a better place by making people more empathic, more human. That, that's my why, as I call it. And um, really, that's, that's my goal. So the first course that I developed, I, I also offer it completely free of charge. So people can try it out. They can see if this fits with them. They can see, uh, and perhaps they can learn something from it too. That's what I'm hoping. Yes. And take action and make that world a better place. I love that. I want you to do something. And you gave us a lot that we can do, right? Even that compassion we can offer to ourselves to understand that our emotions are not bad, to know Mm -hmm. and be curious with others, to show up and be present. These are all things that you had gave us today. To also know that you can just listen and not answer or not solve and just be there and have and give yourself time. You've given us a lot of action steps. And Marcus, I just want to say thank you so much for your time, for your expertise. I really appreciate you um, coming down as a guest for us. And I hope that a lot of our listeners can take action to become more empathic leaders. Thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast. I love the myths that Marcus busted at the beginning. One specific that I always want to call out, emotions are not good or bad. Emotions are indicators and responses of what we need, reactions to information. I also appreciate him talking about how we can support others instead of trying to solve their challenges. Now, I really hope that you take this as a call to action, just what Marcus ended with. Go and do, become that more empathic leadership and propel yourself into what Marcus would describe as excellent leadership. Now, of course, if we can help you in any way to develop those foundational skill sets, to be an effective leader, to be the leader that people want to work with, head on over to crestum.com. We have a full leadership development program that is designed to help you be your best. And a bonus, what you could do is go on to crestcom.com and request a complimentary leadership skills workshop. This is a team building event that you and your team can do together to work better together, to solve those challenges and maybe even enjoy coming together. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast. Don't forget to check out Marcus and also head on over to crestcom.com and see how we can help you become your best self.